We'll be in Psalm 42 today and 43. So if you want to get there, if you're not used to having a Bible in your hand, if you open it to the middle, you'll be pretty close. Psalm is close to the middles, the Psalms. We are spending, if you don't like it, you're making a face. Is that all right? All right. Um, maybe it's just because you're looking at me, you're making that face. <laughs> we're spending a few weeks in the Psalms, summer in the Psalms. We were in 136 last week, 42 and 43, which technically is one Psalm this week. And we're going to continue for several weeks. I'm uh, going to look at Psalm 98, Psalm 106, um, and then the end of the, of the series is up to the Lord, as is every message, but I'm not sure where he wants to take it. There's a few in mind, but we'll planning to go to Psalm 98 and Psalm 106 uh, next after this week. So just digging into the Psalms, there's so much that you can learn in the Psalms. Um, if, you, if you weren't here last year, um, we, did a summer, we did a series on this. If you'll go back to July on, on fbcdan.com, getting bad feedback. There we go. Uh, I did a, a, a lot of talking about the, in, about the background of Psalms and, and what Psalms is all about. I don't want to repeat that, so if, you'll, if, you, if you like that kind of stuff, Go back to that series last July, July 22, and you can hear that. But suffice it to say, or to shorten it down real quick, the Psalms contain just about all of Scripture in the Psalms. There's five books in the Psalms, five different books. Um, that, that, kind of, that kind of replicates the five books of the law, the five books of Moses. That's, there's a reason for that. And uh, it goes through every human emotion that we could possibly go through in this life. And it teaches us how to worship in the best of times, in the hardest of times, um, it, it, it explains who God is so well. It explains who we are so well. I, I, I love the Psalms. Um, I've spent a considerable amount of time in them the last year, and uh, it's, really, it's really helped my heart, to be perfectly honest. So today is a lament psalm. If last week was a, the great Hallel, the great praise psalm, the psalm of the, the, maybe the greatest psalm of praise in all of Scripture, this, this, this week is... is not so praisey-like. It's, it's a lament psalm. Uh, the, the psalmist is going through something difficult. We don't know exactly what it is. It probably has something to do with being exiled and desiring to be back in Jerusalem and being close to that, but not being able to do that yet, living in a, in a Gentile nation, the Gentile nation of Bab Babylon. Um, it most likely has to do with that, but we're not sure exactly who the author of this psalm is, um, and so we don't have a ton of background on it, which actually I think kind of helps this song helps this psalm for us because you can generally apply it to any time you're going through something difficult um, again in our in our the way we have the psalms we have it as psalm 42 and 43 um, it's the same content and many scholars think that originally the psalms were together that it was one psalm some of them some ancient hebrew uh, manuscripts have this psalm together as one psalm so that's why we're going through both today. Psalm 43 is only five verses, so don't worry. I'll try not to go too long. Um, so as we go through that today, Tressie, if you'll click through the, just the scriptures as we read through them, because it's a lot to read through. If you'll read that along with me, here we go. Psalm 42, as the deer pants for the water brooks, so my soul pants for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? My tears have been my food day and night, while they say to me all day long, where is your God? These things I remember and I pour out my soul within me. 
For I used to go along with the throng and lead them in procession to the house of God with the voice of joy and thanksgiving, a multitude-keeping festival. Why are you in despair, O my soul? And why have you become disturbed within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him for the help of his presence. Verse 6, O my God, my soul is in despair within me. Therefore I remember you from the land of the Jordan and the peaks of Hermon and from Mount Miser. Deep calls to deep at the sound of your waterfalls. All your breakers and your waves have rolled over me. The Lord will command his loving kindness in the daytime, and his song will be with me in the night, a prayer to the God of my life. I will say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why do I go on mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? As a shattering of my bones, my adversaries revile me while they say to me all day long, where is your God? Why are you in despair, O my soul, and why have you become disturbed within me. Hope in God, for I shall yet praise him. The help of my countenance and my God. Continuing in 43. Vindicate me, O God, and plead my case against, all, against an ungodly nation. O deliver me from the deceitful and unjust man, for you are the God of my strength. Why have you rejected me? Why do I go mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? Oh, send out your light and your truth. Let them lead me. Let them bring me to your holy hill and to your dwelling places. Then I will go to the altar of God, to God my exceeding joy. And upon the lyre I shall praise you, O God, my God. Why are you in despair, O my soul? And why are you disturbed within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, the help of my countenance and my God. Amen. Father God, we come to you this morning. We thank you, Father, that you are perfect, loving Father. You are provider. You are protector. You are Yahweh, the God of covenant, Lord, the God of promise. Lord, we just thank you for your, for your majesty. We want to lift up your name this morning. We want to declare and preach your word this morning. We want to hear, oh, hear the word of the Lord this morning, God. I pray that as we look into what it is to lament, to mourn, to grieve, to go through the difficulties of this life. God, I pray this morning that we find the beauty that still exists in this world and in this life, even through the toughest things. And we find that because we look in the right place and for the right one, and that is you, Father. I pray that if there's anyone here today that is not saved, God, that today is the day that they cry out, Lord God, you are my Savior. Jesus the Christ, the Messiah, the Son of God, you are my Savior. And I pray that we would celebrate that well with whomever that is, God. I thank you that we can be in your presence this morning, and I pray all these things in Jesus' matchless and wonderful holy name. Amen. All right. So that, that, that uh, translation that I was reading there is the NASB 95. I use that one because it's the, the closest translation to uh, what Shane and Shane used to write that song that we sang, that Psalm 42 that we started off the service with. Some of you weren't awake yet, and you hadn't caught on yet that we sang what we just read, but... You'll, that'll catch up here in a little bit. But for those of you that were paying attention, that's why I read that version. Um, it's, the, it's, it's the closest to what, they, to what they sing in that song. Um, so it may have been a little different from yours. So let's dig into this and let's see what God has for us today. Uh, if we're looking at 
That first verse, as the deer pants for the water brook, so my soul pants for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. You know, Matthew, in Matthew 5, 6, in Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, when he's going to the, through the Beatitudes, he says, those who hunger and thirst for righteousness are blessed. And I think that's what this psalmist is doing. He's, he's hungering, he's thirsting. He desires God's presence. And the reason that he's desiring God's presence is because he doesn't feel like he's there. Understand that. that, that that's why he's lamenting. He, where are you, God? I don't feel you. I don't understand what I'm going through, and I do not understand how you can be near me and all this be going on. He's longing to be in God's presence as if a deer or a stag, literally in the original language, that is in the heat, is trying to survive and can't find water. If you've ever seen an animal desiring water and panting for water, that's the way he desires to be in God's presence because he's not in God's presence. And we go on. When shall I come and appear before God? My tears have been my food day and night. The Hebrew here is lechaim for, for bread. It would be literally put as bread. Bread and, bread and food are synonymous in the Hebrew language. Uh, artos in the Greek. Uh, it's the same word, artos, is the same word in Matthew 6, 11, when Jesus is giving us the model prayer and says, give us this day our daily bread. Same thing, okay? Same word, artos. Uh, and, and, and the psalmist here says that his tears have been his food, have been his bread, have been his fodder. If you didn't know what that, we sang that in the song, is fodder. Fodder is just an old English word for food or for bread. My tears have been my food day and night. I don't know about you, but I've been there in my life more than once where it feels like the only thing that's sustaining me is the taste of my own tears. Anybody else ever been there? Am I the only one that's ever gone through something hard? Have you ever been there where, where, where the only thing you can do is weep and it feels like that's the only thing that is sustaining you? It's a strange place to be. It's a hard place to be. And many times, early on especially in that process, it feels like that's the only thing that's sustaining you is the grief, is the mourning, is the lamenting. And that's where the psalmist is here. He's, he's weeping. He's crying out. Literally, he's weeping, and his tears feel like the only thing that he's getting to sustain him. And I talked to somebody recently, and they were talking about how they'd gone through something hard, and they were like, you know, I went for weeks where it felt like I didn't need to eat. I, I didn't need to sleep. I didn't even need to drink. And I thought, yeah, <laughs> that's what it feels like when your tears are your fodder, when your grief is what is sustaining you. It's a strange place to be. This psalmist is hurting He's upset, he's mad, he's grieving, he's going through all the things. And then you go on, he says, while they say to me all day long. Now, most scholars put this they with the other they's that come with this same statement, where is your God, throughout the rest of the psalm. I don't think that's right. I think the they at the first part of this psalm is the tears. That's what I think. Because you've got to remember, psalms are that's poetic sayings, right? It's putting things in poetry. It's saying things, it's saying things uh, with very beautiful language. My tears have been what are sustaining me. And the very thing that is sustaining me also feels like the mocker. It feels like the scoffer. It feels like as the tears come down my face and I taste my tears and they are what are sustaining me, that they're mocking me and scoffing me. Where is your God? Man, I've been there. I've been there, church. Have you been there? 
tough place to be. But I have a question. It's a minor point to today, but somebody needs this. If you are going through tragedy, grieving, mourning, whatever it may be, there's a whole list of things that we could put into that category. This psalmist is going through something difficult. If you were going through tragedy, would there be anyone ask this about you? Would anyone ask, where is your God? What do I mean by that? I mean, when you're going through the difficulties of life, does God still show up in your life through you? Or is that when they go, yeah, see, yeah. They follow Jesus till it gets tough. They go to church, but it gets hard. Nobody's asking you, where is your God? Because you're not acting like you even care where God is. I know that's hard for somebody to hear this morning. Somebody needed to hear that. Moving along. Told you it wasn't as happy as last week. Verse 4. These things I remember and I pour out my soul within me. For I used to go along with the throng and lead them in procession to the house of God with the voice of joy and thanksgiving. A multitude keeping festival. He's grieved, right? He's struggling. His tears are figuratively asking him, where is your God? The unbelievers, as we get through the rest of this psalm, are asking, where is your God? He's feeling, where are you, God? And what now is he lamenting? What is he desiring to do? What does he, what does he not have? God's presence. That's the whole thing he's yearning for. He just wants to feel God's presence. And, he, and, and, and in this time, to not be able to go to the temple in Jerusalem was to feel like you couldn't properly worship. He wants to worship. That's what the psalmist is desiring. He's longing to be together with other saints and worshiping together. A throng of people together. Lifting up, as he says here, lifting up a voice of joy and thanksgiving. Keeping festival, celebrating, as we have tried to continually and and. And consistently do this year to meet together, even, even outside of just this time. We've consistently tried to meet together, have, have, have meals, have a time together, breaking bread, celebrating. As we did last week, there are things to celebrate. The reason I, here's, here's what I want us to think about when it comes to this concept. He's grieving, he's, he's, he's hurting, he's going through the toughest things. But what he wants to do is be together with other believers, praising God. How do you approach coming here on Sundays? Where is your desire at this morning? Maybe you're in a great spot and you're like, woohoo, I'm happy to be at church. Maybe you're not. Maybe you're somewhere in between. It's all over the place. I understand life is difficult. Do you long to serve? Do you desire to serve? Do you long to come here together and, and praise? Praise together? Do you understand the strength and power that comes from doing that? Do, do you enter this building with a voice of joy and thanksgiving? <laughs> or are you entering the building and expressing your spiritual gift of criticism? Anybody know anybody that has the spiritual gift of criticism? I've been around a couple in my life. I've fallen into that trap a couple times in my life. I remember. I remember. Oh, that was an ugly time. Early as a member in this church. 
mm, fell into a time of criticism. It's not a good place to be. Is the song that you bring here on Sunday mornings, is the song of whining and complaining, is that what you're bringing to the table? Is this you? The pastor should be doing this. Tom, I told you to put your steel toe boots on. The worship pastor doesn't like me. The youth guy, he really needs to be doing this and that. That's the kind of stuff that kills churches. You know what this thing runs on? This thing runs on praise fuel. That's the gas that runs this thing, this thing that we call church. When we come together and we worship, we praise, we sing songs of joy and lift up a voice of joy, when we festival together, when we celebrate together, that's what makes this thing run. That's what makes you want to be here. And what fuels our praise is our prayers. So if you're in a season of criticism or whining or complaining if that happens to be where you are right now you better check your heart you want the church to change pray about it you want your pastor to get better he needs to I promise you pray for him pray for him you're not involved and you're not involved because well I just hadn't been asked pray pray I'm praying. I'm praying your heart changes. I'm praying God will take you and break you and mold you and shape you so he can use you. We need you. Every one of you. We have to have all of us together. That, that's what this psalmist is talking about. Because when it's run like that, when it goes like that, there ain't, there ain't hardly anything better on this earth. That's why our kids love church camp so much. That's why there's a couple of, of, of conferences that we get to go to as staff members. That's why we long for that. Because it's just like pure, unadulterated praise and joy and thanksgiving and the presence of the Lord with the word of the Lord being preached. It's, it's, it's unbelievable. But if you're the one walking in here like this, you're the one that's hurting, hurting this church, grieving the spirit. And I would politely ask that you pray about it and change or go find another church. There's a hundred of them within a rock's throw here, and they'd love to have your unpleasantness in their church. <laughs> Moving right along. Verse 5, why are you in despair, O my soul, and why have you become disturbed within me? Hope in God. He's talking to himself. When he says, O my soul, that's a word for like just who we are as a human, our spirit, our, our soul. Not like our literal soul that, that is saved for eternity. Like the, the idea of what it is to be human. Why are you downcast? And he tells himself, hope in God, for I shall again praise him for the help of his presence. And this is, this is like the chorus of the psalm. It's repeated. Two other times, verse 11 and 43, 5. And we'll dig into those as we get to them later, but that's, that's the course. Continuing, verse 6. Oh God, my soul is in despair within me. Therefore I remember you from the land of Jordan and the peaks of Hermon, the Mount of Miser. Pardon me. Excuse me. He's crying out in bewilderment. Sometimes grieving and struggle and difficulty and hardship is bewildering. It just 
you just can't wrap your mind around it sometimes. His soul feels like it's beyond repair. God is against him, maybe. You start asking these questions. God's left me, maybe. Or, or at least he's upset with me. Did you know how you view God is the most important thing about you? It is the determining factor in how you will live your life. How you, the, how you define God. And the more you try to put him in this little box, the more you're defining your puny little life into something that it shouldn't be. That, but that's what, that's what happens when it's tough, though. We start asking those questions. Has he left me? Is he upset with me? This is what is, the circumstances of this psalmist are telling him. They're telling him these things. The circumstances are saying something's wrong. Something's, God, he can't possibly still be here. He can't possibly be true. He can't possibly be for you. He must be against you. He's not here. Where is he? That's what his circumstances are telling him. And this is the problem that most of us make in the difficulties of life. We start letting the circumstances talk to us. We let circumstances of this world control our choices and what we conclude about God. Say that again, because that's good. We let the circumstances of this world control our choices and what we conclude about God. And that's very foolish. That's not what we're supposed to do. Here's what we should be doing. Oh my God, my soul is in disrepair within me. Therefore, I remember you from the land of Jordan and the peaks of Hermon from Mount Miser. Therefore, I what? What does he do? I, anybody awake? Therefore, I, say it again. Say it again. Say it again. He stops looking at his circumstances. He stops looking at his circumstances. This is how I feel, and he's gone through this, like he's personified this so well into what it is to be human and to grieve and to struggle. And he says, man, I feel like I'm broken beyond repair. Forget all this mess. I'm remembering who you say you are. I'm going back to what I know is true. We should remember God, remember Christ, take an accounting of who he is and what he's done and what he's going to do. That's what we should be doing. That's what he wants to do there. He says he remembers and he starts talking about where he is and where God's done things. And, and, and he's, he's, he's referencing these places. The place he references there, Mount Hermon, is the, is the mountain range at the, at the beginning of the Jordan River that runs down to Jerusalem. Right? It's just on the edge outside of Israel. What's he saying? I'm remembering God, even though I'm as far away from him as I can be. Right? I'm on Mount Miser, which the word means little mountain. I should be on God's holy hill. I should be on Mount Zion. But I don't feel like I can't. I'm not there. I want to be there. I want to go there and worship. But I'm on this little mountain as far away as I can be. But I'm going to remember who God is. Verse 7. Deep calls to deep at the sound of your waterfalls. All your breakers and your waves have rolled over me. So we don't want to let our circumstances control what we conclude about God and control our choices. No, we don't want to do that. Because here's what circumstances feel like. Circumstances feel like verse 7. You ever been there? Remember the first time we sang this song, I explained to you that I sang this song every single day when I came back to work in April of 2021 and May of 2021. I bet Jessica was so sad that we were singing this song this morning because she got so tired of hearing me singing it, I guarantee you. Why? This verse, this verse is what 
just grabbed me. This is what it feels like to be in the middle of trial, to be in the middle of, of despair, to be in the middle of, of life in a broken, sinful, hurtful, hard world. Deep calls to deep. The word deep, a, a word used for the depths of the sea, a word used for indescribable depth, abyss, a, it's in a never-ending depth, like the depth of despair within the soul that is downcast. It feels like there's no end to how far you can keep falling and falling and falling into this repair, into this despair. There's nothing like the depth of a human spirit that's down. It's a depth that's deeper than any depth in this world. Proverbs 17, 22 says this, A joyful heart is good medicine, but a crushed spirit dries up the bones. We have learned that our attitudes, our, our, our spirit, our countenance, how we feel, how we think, literally affects our physical health. It literally, catch this, literally sucks minerals out of your bones. Your, 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 your storage, the things that are in you that keep you going, it literally sucks the life out of you. It dries up your bones. This was written 2,600 years ago. They didn't know that. They didn't know what minerals were. God did. That's pretty cool. He brings the description of his depressed and downcast spirit to life here, explaining what's going on. The roaring sound of waterfalls just calling out. That's what the circumstances that you're going through can do. They just keep, that's all you can hear. It's all you can think about. It's all you can see. It's how hard it is. The waves, the breakers, the white caps. You ever seen those? Some of you been to the beach recently when the, when the waves are up and going and they're capping and it's just over and over and they crash on top of me over and over and over and over and over again. When you're at the beach, do the waves ever stop? They may slow down, may get a little less, a little more, but they don't ever stop. They just keep coming and they crash and they crash and they crash and they crash and they crash. It's unending, this place of lament, this place of despair, this place of hopelessness, which may be where someone is this morning, in a place of hopelessness, and you feel like you just can't get out of it. The wave just picks you up and slams you, and picks you up and slams you, and picks you up and slams you. You're trying to get to the shore, but it slams you over and over and over and over again. Is there a more accurate description of what it feels like to be there than these words? I haven't found it. And it brings the questions of, why am I here? Again, it brings those questions. Did I sin? Did I idolize? Did God take this away because it was an idol in my life? Is it just a test? Am I Job? I really thought that'd get a laugh. <laughs> you ever felt like that? I have. I had someone tell me that. <laughs> I wasn't going to share this, but I'm going to share it. So, like two days Two days after the accident, maybe a day after, after we lost Kayla Landry, I had a sweet, sweet person that I dearly love that really meant this as a good thing. Come up to me and say, I'm praying for you. I really don't know what to say. Usually what comes after, I really don't know what to say. Probably not the right thing to say. But the person said, man, I've been searching scripture and just trying to find something and just help you out and just trying to make sense of it all. And all I could come up with was Job. And I said, thanks. The Bible character everybody wants to be. I've longed, Lord, make me Job, please. That sounds like so much fun. So maybe you've asked that question before. Am I Job? 
It, it, in other words, is this a heavenly battle of good and evil that I'm going through? Maybe I haven't sinned. Maybe I haven't done something wrong. Maybe God is just using me to show his strength. Or has God left me? Where is my God? As this psalm cries out. It's so real. It's so real. The psalms are so real and genuine and raw and authentic. He feels this way, but he remembers God. He remembers who he is. He remembers what he's done. He doesn't let his circumstance decide. He lets truth decide. So if you're, if you're the type of person that likes the little catchy sayings, here's a couple of catchy sayings for you. Here's what I'm trying to say. Confess the character of Christ to control your conclusions of Christ. Not your circumstances. Don't let your circumstances define what it is that you're doing in your life. Or how it is that you explain what's going on in your life. Circumstances change. Our ability to fully understand circumstances are not adequate in any way, shape, or form. They are not good enough to do the job right of explaining and deciding what's going on in our life based on circumstances. You don't understand your circumstances. I can guarantee you, not fully, not like he does. It's no different than a coach on the sideline and a coach in the press box. The coach in the press box has a lot better view. That's why so many of you are such good coaches. As you sit in the stands, you don't realize how much harder it is to see it from the sideline. It's difficult. You got the godlike view up there. Maybe not the godlike conversations, but godlike view. <laughs> we can't do it right. We stand on truth. What is truth? Anybody have truth they can show me? It's in your hand, just hold it up in the air. That's truth. That's what you can count on. We don't worship the Bible, the book. We worship the God of the Bible. His word is that on the pages. We stand on truth. We stand on what has proven to stand the test of time and circumstance. That's what God's word has done. It has proven to stand the test of time and circumstances. Over millennia, his word has proved to be true. Over circumstance after circumstance after circumstance, if given enough time, has proven to be true. We stand on the word of God. Second saying, confess the character of Christ to control your choices for the church. Check out all them C's. Now that's some good preaching right there. That's some alliteration right there. I worked hard on that. Confess the character of Christ to control your choices for the church. What do I mean? Already kind of hit on it. How do you choose what you do for the church? Ooh, I'm getting uncomfortable for a sec. How do you choose what you do for the church? Is it based on if the pastor came by and shook your hand? Well, guess what? He had to go to the bathroom this morning, so he didn't get to you. That's why I was late coming out here. What, what, what do you base it on? Your circumstances? That's foolish. That's so foolish. Why would you let Satan do that to you? Confess the character of Christ to control your choices for the church. Jesus said serve. Jesus said worship. Jesus said give. Jesus said praise. It's not based on circumstance, church. Come on. How does he remember God? The best way we ever can. As he continues this song, the breakers crash, the waves of difficulty seem not to be ending, but 
Verse 8, the Lord will command his loving kindness in the daytime. Lord, all capitals. What does that mean? Hot dog, somebody's been listening. Yahweh, he uses his personal name. Now catch this, this, this is kind of cool. All the other times that God is mentioned in this psalm, it's Elohim, which is like the, the generic, it's like our, us saying God. This is the only time in the psalm where he reminds himself, it's not just a God, it's the God. It's Yahweh God. It's personal God. It's real God. It's the God who's done all these things that we know about. That God commands his loving kindness, his hesed, loving kindness, same word that we talked about in length last week. If you don't know, go back. His faithfulness to his covenant, his hesed, God commands the responsibilities that are to be completed by God. He commands that. He's in charge of that. God's character, his faithful loving kindness, his hesed is in control of all of this, not circumstances. No matter how many times your weak flesh lies to you, no matter how many times Satan tries to convince you otherwise, trust God's character. Trust who he says he is and has proven it over time who he is. He's the God of covenant, of faithful promises. Time and time again, he's proven. He'll do just what he says, as the song promises says. And then he goes on, and his song will be with me in the night, a prayer to the God of my life. What, what, what's that third word? His what? I can't hear you. His song will be with me in the night. I don't know, I just find that interesting. Of all the things that he could have said that was comforting him, the way that the psalmist explains it is God's song is with him. It's almost like song has, has power. It's almost like music has power. It's almost like worshiping together has power. It's almost like God set it up for us to do that on a regular basis. I don't know. Praise the Father. Praise the Son. Praise the Spirit three in one. Come together and praise his name, his song. What a wonderful way to express it. His song. His comfort with me at night, because that's when you need it. Joy comes in the morning, but when the sun goes down, it gets harder. If you've ever gone through something hard, you know exactly what I mean. That's when it's the hardest. And when it's the hardest, sing. Paul and Silas in prison, what did they do? They sang. Jesus and the 11, you probably missed this. You go check me. Jesus and the 11, right after the Lord's Supper, right before going to the Garden of Gethsemane, when Jesus is about to be arrested and put on the cross, in between those two things, what do they do? Yeah, I gave you the answer. Good job. They sang. They sang. Have you ever caught that? After the Lord's Supper, before the Garden of Gethsemane, they sang, and then they went out. They got ready. They got their mind right. That's why when you're in the locker room, you play music, because it gets your mind right. When you're working out or when you're running, it changes things. In a worldly sense, it works, but in a heavenly sense, in a, in a worshiping God, it's even more powerful. It's great. Sing. Sing when it's good and wonderful. And maybe more importantly, sing when it's hard and you're low and downcast and seemingly facing impossible things. Sing the word of the Lord to the Lord. Don't come here on Sundays and just stand there. And don't give me this sorry excuse that, well, I just can't sing very well. Get over it. <laughs> You're not singing to the guy next to you or the gal next to you. You're singing to the king of kings. And he commands you to sing to him. 
Not to say, well, I can't sing very well, so I don't sing. Hogwash. Hogwash. Sing the word of the Lord to the Lord. Sing unto the Lord a new song for what he's done. For he's made known to us his salvation. The psalmist goes on again in verse 9. I will say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why do I go mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? As a shattering of my bones. There it is again. My adversaries revile me. Why? While they say to me all day long, again, where's your God? He repeats this same thing and then goes in. Now the tears spoke out. The tears spoke out to him, where's your God? Now his enemies speak out to him, where's your God? He's asked himself, where are you, God? And then he answers again with that same refrain, the repeatable phrase in verse 11. And now I'm fixing to get fired up. This is the fired up part of the, ver- the, the sermon. Verse 11, that, that chorus, that refrain. Why are you in disrep- despair, O my soul? And why have you become disturbed within me? Talking to himself. Hope in God, for I shall yet praise him. The help of my countenance and my God. The help. Mm. Why are you in despair, O my soul? And why have you become disturbed within me? Hope in God. That's a cool word right there, that hope. Yahal. To wait, to hope, to expect, not to wish upon a star, to know something expectantly, to hope. You know that better is coming. It's coming. It has to, because God said it would. Maybe, 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 or maybe not in this life, but ultimately, better is coming. That's what we hope in. That's what we expect. That's what we know to be true. It's just not reality for us yet. We hope. And because I know this, because I know this, because you know this, follower of Christ, if you're not a follower of Christ, this, what I'm about to say, doesn't apply to you. I don't know what you hope in, and I don't know how you make it. Good luck, because this life is too hard without Jesus. But because I know that, because I expect that, because I hope in that, I know that to be true, even when I'm in a pit, even though I'm in a lion's den, Even though I'm in a fiery furnace, even though I'm in the belly of a great fish, even though the king wants me dead, even though my son has betrayed me because of my own sin, like King David, even though when we have been exiled, even though my Savior hangs on a cross, my Messiah is dead and has been laid in a tomb, even though I'm a Roman prisoner. For preaching Jesus with my confident Silas, confidant Silas, even though, even though it seems that there is absolutely no reason whatsoever to do so, yet shall I praise him. That's the answer. Yet shall I praise him. Even though all that, because I know what I know to be true. I know better is coming. That's how you can make it. That's how you proclaim Jesus even in the difficulties. And think about this. Would the world even believe us? That's the whole point of Job. That's the entire point of Job. Without difficulty, Satan could always say, the only reason they love you is because you're good to them. That's all. They don't actually love you. They love what you do for them. The difficulty is where it's proven. The hard stuff is where it's proven. That's where your faith shows up and gets real. That's the beauty of it. In the middle of the terrible, 
you find a depth with God that you didn't know existed. And all of a sudden, it makes it worth it somehow. And it's weird. Here's the thing. How can you do that? <laughs> because the tomb didn't have the final answer, did it? God did. The prison didn't have the final answer. God did. The lion's den didn't have the final answer. God did. My circumstances don't have the final say. God does. Jesus the Christ does. Satan, you can throw all the tricks and the punches. You can send all the demons of hell. You can try and convince me that this loss that I've experienced is unconquerable. You can send the financial troubles. You can send the health troubles. You can take this away or you can take that away. You can have people lie on me and you can scheme on me and you can try to hurt me. You can do all those things. And it may cause my heart to be downcast. It may make it difficult. But joy still comes in the morning. I know what I'm hoping on. Follower of Christ, you know what you're hoping in, who you're hoping in. Yet shall I praise him. You can do all that stuff, Satan. You can do all that stuff, sin. You can do all that stuff, the darkness of this world. Yet shall I praise him. Breakers crash and bring me to my knees, but I remember who God is. I remember he is Yahweh, the God of covenant, of faithful promises, of faithful, loving kindness. And you, Satan, and you, sin, and you, darkness of this world, are a liar and a deceiver and a schemer, and you do not have the final say. That's the truth. Don't look at your circumstances. Preach the truth to yourself. Stand on it. Live by it. Yahweh Sabaoth, the Lord God of heaven's armies. That's who has the final say. Jesus, the Christ, the lion of the tribe of Judah. Riding on his horse in his white robe and on his thigh says, King of kings and Lord of lords. That's who gets the final say. Not your circumstances. How dare us walk into this place and not do what God's called us to do. Because our feelings got hurt. Because we don't feel like it. How dare us. He says in Romans 8, 18, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is going to be revealed in us. That's the hope. Think about that saying. No matter how hard it is, no matter how hard it is, it's incomparable to how good it's going to be. I trust God's word, his living word, brought to life by his son, the word. So you devil, you sin, you darkness of this world can go straight to hell where you belong. That's where you belong. That's what you tell him when he's playing mind tricks with you, trying to convince you that your circumstances define your choices and what you're going to do. He doesn't do that. I'm a child of God. I'm a co-heir with Christ. Whoa! I'm a co-heir with Christ. And nothing, no thing can separate me from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus the Lord Amen. That's one chapter in Scripture. That's Romans 8. One chapter you get all that from. You don't know that God today? You should. You don't know that God? You should. He goes on. I'll make this last part quick. I knew this was going to be too long. I'm sorry. I'm really not. Get over it. I should. I should. 
I shouldn't stand here. I shouldn't stand here and lie like that. That's, that's a lie. I'm sorry if your stuff's burning or whatever, if you've got to go to the bathroom. Get up, and go to the, get up and go to the bathroom. That's what I'm sorry about. But not that we're preaching God's word. Quickly, right here in this part, end of Psalm 43, he repeats that the tough stuff's going on again, and then what does he ask for? Send your light and your truth. Let them lead me. Send that, God. I, I, I want to get to you, but I can't. Send what it takes to get to me. It's kind of cool that Jesus said he's the light of the world, the way, the truth, and the life. God's word is so cool. Light and truth snuff out darkness and lies. Verse 4, again, he repeats it. His desire, like a deer dying of thirst, panting for water to be in the presence of the Lord. He says, send out your light and your truth. Why? Verse 4, again, he repeats like he did earlier, so he can go worship. That's all he's desiring to do. That's all he's desiring to do. He wants to go sacrifice at the altar. He wants to take the instrument that he has, the skill, the talent that he's been given, and he wants to give it back to God. He wants to praise him. He wants to worship. And then it finishes again with that same refrain. The end of verse 43. He finishes this same way that he's repeated it two other times. And so I'll finish with this. Several more things, but I'll finish with this. That word there for help. We say it different ways in English. The help of my countenance, the health of my countenance. Uh, figuratively, you could say to, to lift my face. Kind of the same thing, you know, you're dejected. And to have your countenance lifted. The word there, the root word, is the same as Yeshua. Excuse me, it's Yeshua. There you go. The emphasis is on the end of the word. But it's the same root word in Hebrew that is Jesus' name. <laughs> I don't know if that hits you the way it hits me, but that's pretty cool. We, we say Jesus in English, but if we were saying Jesus' name in Hebrew, it would be Yeshua. And that word is Yeshua. It's practically the same word, Yeshua. It's how you would say Jesus in Hebrew. And that word literally means Savior. The root of that word to be salvation. It literally means Yahweh saves. That's what he finishes with and reminds himself. The whole word of God, Old Testament, New Testament, it's about the word of God. It's about Jesus, even in the Psalms, the Son of God, the one who came to take away the sins of the world, the Savior of all mankind. So again, I ask, do you know that God today? If you don't, get down here and let's handle that. You need to know that God. If you do, you need to be praying that your soul desires him the way a deer pants for water and is dying of thirst. Because the bottom line is this. Being in the presence of God is as good as it possibly gets. Remember that we get that for eternity in the end, church. We get a model of it right now. This is a model. As we gather in his name, we must gather in his name and praise him until he comes. Father, thank you for your gift of salvation. Thank you for the beauty that is in the difficulty, God. Thank you for the purification of faith that comes in that. Thank you for the testing and the trying and the proving of who you are and who you've called, who you've elected to be with you, Father. Thank you for, thank you for that this morning. Lord, I pray that if someone needs to get saved this morning, that they would come down here and we would, that you would lead them through professing you as Savior. 
God, if there's any other business, joining the church, baptism, anything that needs to be done in your name, I pray it be done during this time as we finish up in praise to you in song. I pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's join us. As the deep